It's good to be here today. Hope you're doing well. Um, and so, well, what God put on my heart to, to share was this. And, um, one thing as I was preparing, and he put this on my heart, is, is how when we look at the children of Israel, they're a great um, example in the wilderness, um, that as the children of Israel uh, traveled through the wilderness, what God was teaching them, and obviously, therefore, what he's teaching us and when we think about the work of salvation, what we must realize is that God is about radical and complete transformation of our lives. And, and the purpose of that is to align ourselves with the original purpose of God. And there's a couple, there's one of my, like people have maybe their favorite verse, and one of my favorite verses is John 10.10. 10. And, and Jesus says, the faith comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? Because I hope that's good news for you today because God wants to give you abundant life. And, and it reminded me as well in Psalm 23 where it says, he anoints my head with oil, my cup, it overflows. And I don't know about what your experience is. I don't know if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, Daniel, my life is overflowing with joy. My life is overflowing with goodness and blessing. I can hardly contain it. And it's just pouring out all around me. Because the reality is that's what God wants for you. And maybe the other reality is that maybe that's not always what we experience. And, and the question is, why not? And I thought about this thing and I was thinking, imagine I made a car. I was thinking, I, I want to get in the car industry. And I made a car and I, I did it all brilliantly. I thought, this car's excellent. And I gave it to you. I said, this is the first model. This is what's going to be my showcase car. And then, you know, you, so I, I took it to your house and I gave it to you. And then you, you thought, wow, that's a brilliant car. And you sat in the car and you went, and, and I was like, no, no, you've you got to turn it on. You know, but now you're sitting there going, you know, like you did when you were a kid at the moment your mum and dad left the car and you're like, yeah, I can drive. Um, and, and in my heart as the designer and creator, I'd be like, no, 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 you've missed it. That's not what you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to drive the car. No one's ever going to see how wonderful this is unless you use it as it's supposed to be used. And when we think about our lives, it's a bit like that. That God wants to, he, he looks at us and thinks, I want you to live it as it's supposed to be lived. Because not only is that good for us, but it glorifies him as the creator. And he says, I've made you for something so much greater than you could ever imagine. And so our real question is, what hinders us from this? And, and one of the realities is that our calling comes with baggage. And that we become Christians, and, and we, we, but we come with a lot of junk, you know? And this can be a real hindrance. And some people have more junk than others, you know? Some people may, you might have had a pretty decent life, but you still have got some junk. And some of you might have come with a horrendous life, and maybe you're carrying a lot. Um, and the reality is that we've been raised in a broken world. Everyone here 
no matter how nice your parents were, no matter how good your schooling was, and what bubble you might have lived in, but we have been raised in a broken world, and, and so our environment and our experiences will influence us, and they'll, they, they, in a sense, they make us who we are, but because we have lived in a broken world, we come to this place with a broken way of living. We come to Christ with a broken way of thinking. And I don't know about you, but I know that I, I've got many bad habits. Like I became a Christian when I was 13, and I already had bad habits by that point. Um, and so I really feel sorry for you if you became a Christian as an adult. You really have really bad habits, probably. Um, but, and I realized that some of these habits, some of them are just unhelpful. You know, they're just things that are not good for you. You, you, you eat a bit too much or you, something like that. I don't know. But there are some that are just unhelpful, but there are some that are also unrighteous, and they will actually draw us away from God. And, and the blessing of God is that God doesn't want to just leave us where we are. He doesn't go, well, that's a shame. God didn't save us and go, well, I'm off now. Good luck. See you at the end. Um, but he's with us, and I said, he wants to bring us into something new. But the reality is, if we've come to God for salvation and God wants to bring us into something new, then something has to change. And I, I was thinking about this quote. Um, it's mine. Um, <laughs> and it says, if you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got. If you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got. It rolls off the tongue. And so, if you keep doing the things you always did, then the life that you have in God isn't really going to be any different to the life that you had before God. Yeah. And that's, again, that's like the guy sitting in the car. And it's, that's not how it's supposed to be. God's got so much more for you. Let's go on. So, as I think, going back to our, our car illustration, there needs to be change. And again, one of my favorite verses is in the book of Romans. And it's, this is a very well-known uh, verse. And it says in verse 1 and 2 of Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing new of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and perfect. Sorry, good and acceptable and perfect. And so I want to break this verse down because what this does, it gives us a foundation of how we move in transformation. When we ask things, we often first ask, what is the what? This is the what. The what we're looking for is that we come to a place where we present our bodies as living sacrifices. This is what you've been called to do. You've been called by God to present yourself. When you say about your body, it's who you are, yourself. You present that as a living sacrifice. And, and the manner in which this is, he says it's holy and acceptable because right now you could present yourself to God. Go, God, here I am, you know. But it doesn't mean you're necessarily holy and acceptable. Now there's a point we say, we, you know, we say come as you are. And there's a truth in that. But the truth is, we don't stay as we are. And as we come and present ourselves to God, 
Our aim is to do so in a way that is holy and acceptable, not in a way that is just any which way I desire. But he's saying, this is what I'm looking for. And as we trans- become transformed by him, we will we'll do that. And there was a few things that struck me just in our worship, um, and it connected with the verse I, was, I read this morning. And it says, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it connected with a verse I was thinking about the other day when it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that I, I see in a mirror dimly, but then I see face to face. And this idea that God is taking us on a journey of transformation where the way we see, the way we hear, the way we do things becomes clearer and clearer. And if we want to see God, if we want to know him more deeply, then there's a connection with how we are, how we live, and which is holy and acceptable to God. And so that's the what. Now I'm going on to the why. So why do we do this? Because it's our spiritual worship. We've all been called to worship God and, and our, pres- our presenting of ourselves is, is honouring to God, just like in the car, using it correctly is honouring to the creator. And so as we live, we, we worship God. And the how. And the how is by the renewing of your mind. Because if there's no transformation, then it's just the sitting in the car going, you know, there's no transformation. It's by using it and living our lives as God intended that that brings him glory. That is our worship. Okay. So, what we have to think about is getting a new mind. When we think about Israel, they, if you know the story of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for many years. I think it was a good few hundred years. They, they were in, in slavery in Egypt. And so God said, this is not good for my people, and he wanted to bring them out of slavery, and he used Moses, you know, the famous let my people go, and they come out, they sing the songs, and they go through the Red Sea. And this mighty miracle, I don't know what you would think if you've been in a situation where you've gone through water that's been parted by God. And the moment you step out of it, it closes and all your enemies get annihilated. And, and that's pretty miraculous, isn't it? And so they, God's idea was to bring them out of this place of bondage into a place of glory and wonder and into a promised land. But one of the key problems was they had been slaves for so long that they didn't know how to think as free people. And one of the key things that happens when we become Christians is that we're set free. We're set free from sin. We're set free from death, free from the law. And often we're given this freedom, but we don't know what to do with it. And you can be told you're free, but you can be a bit kind of like a a deer in the headlights, and you're not like, what, what, how do I respond to this? And it reminded me of, you hear about prisoners who become institutionalized because they, they, you know, they're told when to get up, they're told when to eat, they're told where they can go, and they don't have to actually make any choices. And so when they get out, they're suddenly like, wow, there's this world of opportunities, and I don't know what to do with it because I'm used to this. I'm used to people telling me what I need to do, and I, I've lost the ability to be free. And so Israel came out 
with this slave mentality and God had to deal with them through it. And ultimately the root of this, it says in Romans 1.25, and this is for all of us, that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. Because God had an initial way that we should live, initial way we should think, and, and through sin, that truth was lost for a lie. And the lie brings us into bondage. And so the heart of God is to break these lies and give us back the gift of life-giving truth. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at a few examples of how Israel, what God was doing with Israel, um, and hopefully we can learn from some of them. So if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. And we're going to start in chapter 15. I'm probably just going to point out one or two verses and kind of share some stories. Um, there we go. Oh, I need a bigger lectern. Okay, and one of the first things that struck me, and so our first lesson... Oh, I'm pressing this, but I meant to press that. Don't set up camp when you should be passing on. Because I started looking at these scriptures, and they just come through this uh, Red Sea experience. They've come through, and they're on the other side. And they have this brilliant thing, and, and Miriam sings, Sing to the Lord. This is in verse 21. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider is thrown into the sea. They've had this wonderful experience. They're all elated and partying and and in the next verse it says then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea Moses made them and, and it's just that little word that struck me because they'd come through this great experience they'd received deliverance but what they the temptation for them to do was go great let's put down our tents here Because that's where they were. That's, they couldn't see that God actually had something more in mind for them. And so what they did, they began to put their tents down in the place that God intended them to pass through. And we can do this in our lives. Because we come to the place of salvation. We come to the place of the cross. And there's a real danger that we never move on beyond that place that we're constantly just, it's hard because you know what, we should always be loving the cross, we should always be loving the sacrifice of Christ and the life that he's given us. But that's not just where we live. He's got more for us, abundance of life and purposes, good works, I was talking about the other week. You know, he's, he's created those for us to walk in. And so the danger is that we just stop there. And it reminded me uh, once in my bachelor days, a long time ago now, um, I was looking for a new flat and we went to this um, house that was in Court Road. Now, if you've been in Court Road, they're pretty big houses. And there was this one house that had been divided, subdivided into many apartments. And so we went round and we're looking in this house and they walked us into this room um, and they showed us this room and it was kind of like, had a dining table and I was like, oh, it's a bit disappointing. It's kind of a living room, but it was, to be honest, about the same size as my living room now. No, nothing to write home about but decent enough. And I was like, all right, it's okay. It's not brilliant, but it's okay. But then the, uh, whatever they were, travel, um, I was going to say travel agent, estate agent, said, oh, and then you go through this door. And I was like, there's a door. 
and there was another door across the other side of the room, and she opened this door and took us into this, this other room. Now, every time I tell this story, this room gets bigger and bigger, <laughs> in my mind at least, you know. But literally, it was probably about four times the size of the previous room. Like, to the point that I was like, wow. Like, and in my bachelor mindset, I was like, we could get a foosball table in here. We could also get a pool table in here. I even thought, we could get a hot tub in here, you know? <laughs> but th that's how big this room was. It was enormous. Um, and in my mind, I was thinking, wow, how much can we settle for the first thing? We see this one thing, we come into a place and we go, well, this is better than it was, you know, this is better than Egypt, this is better than bondage and slavery, you know, it's a, it's a room. But yet, God is saying there's a doorway into something so much more. In my mind, it's a bit like Narnia. But, you know, it's kind of like, no, God wants to bring us into so much more that he has for us. And so it can be so easy to camp in a place that God intends us to pass through because we can be grateful for that thing but not realise that God wants to bring us into something more. And you know, God, God's intention for you, and this is again when we think about renewing our mind, you need to be clear about what God's intention for you is so that you don't settle for something less. That God's intention is to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Maybe it's a land flowing with blue Chelsea boots. If that's your thing. <laughs> but you know, God has blessings for you. God has more for you. And we can say, well, that, God's not interested in that. God doesn't concern himself with that. But I remember Hannah's story reminded me of once I was in Italy. And I, I, at the time, I needed some new football boots. And I had a dream about some football boots. And they were silver. And then I walked around the shop and I saw them. I was like, God, they're the ones you've got for me. And they were brilliant. I've still got them. And, but God is interested in these small things in your life. God wants to bless you and encourage you. Okay. Let's move on. It is God that provides all our needs. Because from this place, you know, it's funny how quickly the Israelites moan. Um, but then, you know what, we're no different, are we? that God does something wonderful, and the next minute we're like, oh, this is so annoying. Um, and so they come through this place, and God's moving them on, and they come to a place called uh, Mara, and there's, they, their complaint is there's no water here, and the water, well, the water that is there is bitter, and it can't be drunk. And so they, God tells them to throw a tree into the water, and it becomes fresh. I don't know how that works, but God's like, but God's point is, look, I can take care of you. And I found it really interesting because he takes them from there and he takes them then to another place. And it says in verse 27, then they came to Elim where, they, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And so if you're thinking about deserts, you're thinking about this is an oasis. This is the beautiful place. This is where you want to come to in the desert. And you think, well, why didn't God bring them to that place first? I was asking God, why? Like, why did they have to go to the place of Mara before they came to the place of Elim? And sometimes we come through these things that God has to show us, I am the one that will provide for you. And he has to teach us a lesson before we can walk in the blessing. Because if we just continually come into oasis, 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 the moment we come to Mara, we won't know what to do. Because we're like, oh God, I'm used to just 
oasis and fresh water. What do I do now? The water's bitter. But God, from the very outset, said, even while you come to bitter places, I will be able to transform those situations and I will be able to provide for you. And it's really funny because they just seriously don't get it. Because they, if you read the next few chapters, they get to the place where you know, they moan again and um, God gives them bread from heaven. They moan again and God gives them quails and they moan again and Moses hits the rock and the water pours out. God's got this mindset that it's like, I can provide for you. But the reason also, I believe, he didn't, you know, it wasn't wonderful because, again, if he had provided too much, they would have settled. Because in the end, you do get a bit tired of manna and quail, I guess. You know, it's nice, but after a while, you want something a bit, else, a bit more. And God was taking them through something. And so there's the one lesson is, you know, well, God will provide. But also, he won't give you what is going to keep you in a place that is not where he wants you to be. And so he's going to take you through something, but all through that. And so it's interesting, though, that we don't get it, that God's going to provide. Because it was like, well, he provided yesterday. And this is one of the key things. He says, okay, I'm going to provide six days. I love this. He says, I'm going to give you food for six days. Every day you go out and you get the food from the floor. Weird. But that's your food for the day. But on the sixth day, you take double portion because on the Sabbath, you're not going to, I'm not going to do it. And something got lost in their thinking that they didn't realise. So they, on the sixth day, they didn't take double portion because they thought, well, I need to do it on the seventh day. And then there was no food for them, so they went hungry that day. Um, or the food they did take was rotten if they took too much. And so they didn't get that God is saying, look, it's me that provides don't rely on your own understanding. Yeah. Because this is the challenge to our mindset that we have got used to providing for ourselves in a certain way. We have got used to our bank balance totaling in a certain way. And I'm not saying we don't have wisdom, we don't have discipline, all those kind of things. But there comes a place that God is going to put you in a place where he's saying, will you trust me in a way that does not make sense to you? Will you trust me for tomorrow's food even when, you know, it's not going to be the same as it was today. Because our thinking is, I need to do this. I need to take control. But God was telling them again and again, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to, everything you need. And I say, he didn't want to give them everything because he still wanted them to keep moving to the place that he ultimately wanted them to end up which was the land flowing with milk and honey. So, again, where does your help come from? Where does your, your need come from? We need to be transformed in our thinking to realise that this, can, this only comes from God. The next one is don't forget who is in control. It's very interesting, I was thinking about this, about I wonder what it was like when you come from a slavery background. Because again, you've got no control. And you are living your life at the whim of other people. And they came to this, and the moment they, the things started going wrong, it says in, verse, in chapter 16, 
and in verse 2, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, first of all, just to realise, we always have this kind of rose-tinted version of what life was like. Like, if you read what it was like, they were being flogged and beaten, um, and they were working like dogs, you know. But they, in their mind, and it's funny when you get hungry, how you see things differently. And you're like, I remember it was so wonderful. The other interesting thing is, uh, who took them out of Egypt? Who took them through the Red Sea? It wasn't Moses, and it wasn't Aaron, it was God. And I was thinking, it's interesting that when we get into this, we've had this kind of slavery mindset, it's, we like to blame other people for everything. Because actually we've been in a position where we don't have control, so anything that happens to us is somebody else's fault. Any, everything we need is from somebody else. And so they got into this position that actually... If something's wrong with me, I can just blame somebody else. I can just blame Moses. Whereas actually, I bet God was actually wanting them to say, if you want something, ask me. If you're in need, ask me. Don't look to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so to provide your need. I'm the one who provides your need. I'm the one who has led you out of Egypt. I'm the one who took you out of the Red Sea. I'm the one who is leading you through the wilderness. If you've got a question, come and ask me. If you've got a problem, talk to me about it. Because actually God wants relationship, which if you've got a slavery mindset, a slavery mindset doesn't give you relationship. It puts you in subjugation. And so you can't ask. But if you've been brought in and set free, you have a liberty to come and ask. If you realize you are now adopted sons and daughters of God, you have a liberty to come to the Father and ask. If you think about that story in the prodigal son, you had the son, the second son, who was out in the field. And the father went to him and said, what are you doing? And he said, well, you always like the other one more than me. It's like, you're throwing a party for him, you're never throwing a party for me. You know, just real pity, self-pity. And he's like, don't you realize that everything I have is yours? You could have had a party at any time. You could have killed the fatty calf. You could have had your friends over. The house that we're having, it's yours. But he was so full of self-pity that he didn't realize what was his. And we can get into that mindset that we don't realize what we have in Christ. And so we're always the victim. We're always the disadvantaged one. We're always at the whim of somebody else. But do you know that if you are in Christ... The only person who has control over you is God. Not me, not John, not your boss, not your mum and dad. I'm talking to grown-ups here, you know. But we put ourselves in this place where I'm so powerless. I can't do anything. Whereas, you know, he says, if Christ is for you, then who can be against you? And what he's saying in that, Paul was saying, if, if Christ is for you, then, then who cares about the rest? You know, because they're, they're, they're not even players in the game. 
Because God will move people. And I've, heard, I've given testimony before how God moves people if they're not doing what he wants them to do. And so if somebody is coming against you, then you need to say, well, God, what you, what's, it, what's this about? What's happening in this situation? It's interesting that Moses points out at the end of verse 8, he says, your grumbling is not against us, it's against God. It's like, we're just serving God just like you. If you've got a problem, talk to God about it. Because God can, and I think that's the whole thing, that God wants to say, okay, I want you to come to me with your problems so that I can then resolve them for you or with you. It's interesting that Moses was this guy who was this holy guy. You kind of get the impression that he walked into the room and went, oh, and you know, there was a light. And, and, and yeah, that's brilliant. But he didn't get there easily. He didn't get there overnight. He went through trials and tribulations and God refined him. And sometimes we want to have the relationship that God has with somebody else, but we're not willing to go through the journey to get there. And so, actually, I actually believe that the, any of these people could have had a relationship with God, that they could have been the one striking the rock. They could have been the one doing whatever else the Moses might have done, but they weren't willing to because they were like, oh, well, if I, Moses can do that. Moses is a special one. And they didn't see themselves as also children of God who could know him and, and ask him and talk to him. And so don't forget that when you're in these situations, it is God that is in control. Now, if you're in willful disobedience to God, you know, thumbing your nose at him, whatever the phrase is, snubbing your nose, whatever. But if you're in that position, then, yeah, you're putting yourself in the hands of the enemy. That's not to say God's out of the picture, but, you know, you're, you're, it's getting on dodgy ground. But if you're like, God, am I right before you? Yeah. Okay, you're in control. So when your boss comes and says, right, we're making you redundant, you're in control. God's in control, you know. And we can continue to put our trust in him and not others. Okay, let's go to the next one. So this goes into chapter 17. And there's a famous story, and we say worship is key when fighting battles. And this is a story of where Moses, uh, they were going to fight Amalek and Moses stood on the mountain and they, as he lifted up his arms, they, they prospered in the battle and as he, if they lowered, they, they were being overcome. And so the key illustration here was as his hands were lifted in praise to God, they prospered. And again, how often we face battles and we face situations that we don't enter them in a position of worship. Because when we worship God, what we're declaring, who is truly God? Because as I said, I think I've said this in the past, and we did a whole, I guess we did a whole series on it, but the key word, worship is about giving worth and recognising who is worthy. And what we're doing when we worship, we're declaring to the heavenly hosts God is, worth, is worthy. God is the one true God, not somebody else. I'm not going to give my worship to anything else when we worship him. And so we're declaring that God is God, the Lord is God, but also that he is the victor. We're declaring that he is the one who is over these things. 
And so if we fight in a battle out of a state of worship, sorry, if we're not in a state of worship, we will do so in our own strength. And I don't know about you, but again, this is our old way of thinking, that a problem will come, and it's like, right, I'm going to deal with this. And we have a, a coping mechanism, a fighting mechanism, that is purely flesh. It might be very effective, because if you're the biggest one and you go into a fight, you normally win. And so that might be very effective. But it wasn't effective for Goliath when he faced David, who came in a position of worship. If we move in our own strength, it doesn't honour God. Do you ever know that you can win a fight, but you lose? I remember when... Um, I was working at Barclays and, and basically they, they wouldn't recognise our Christian group. They wouldn't let us advertise. They wouldn't let us do anything. And, and so everyone's like up in arms. This is wrong. This is, you know, we need to do something about this. And, and my heart was like, we could fight this and win, you know, because there's great arguments that we can win. And, you know, but what profit is it to win? Because we come out looking like idiots, we come out looking no different from everyone else who just fights for their own self. Often in Scripture, God says, stand and behold, you know, the salvation of the Lord. Stand and let God do something so that then he gets the glory instead of you getting the glory. And this is the position of worship. This is why God sent the worship team into the battle first because it made no sense. Maybe it just confused everyone. I don't know. But it was like, no, because worship is an essential position for battle. And you are going to face problems. You are going to face difficulties. We are going to face trials and temptations. But we enter into them in a position of worship rather than in a position of our own strength and our own flesh. When we do so, we face a problem and you think, how can I love in this difficulty. What I do, how does it show love to the person that I might have to fight against? How does it show humility? How did it allow the power of God to be shown? Don't deny God his victory by trying to do things in your own strength. And the last one for today, you know, we could have kept on going through Exodus but the last one for today is don't take your eyes off the one who saved you. And this, this goes on a bit because after this story, you know, they get the Ten Commandments and you're getting the, the download of all this information about the tabernacle and the altars and the priestly garments. And so you kind of move on a bit. And then you get to this place in chapter 32, if you want to flick there with your Bibles, because this is the infamous story that's titled in mind. It says, The Golden Calf. You've got all this wonderful stuff that's happening, then you get this story about the golden calf, which is where Moses has been up on the mountain for a while in the smoke and the glory, and the, everyone else is sitting there in the camp twiddling their thumbs and doesn't know quite what to do. And so they have this really genius of ideas of, well, let's um, take all our earrings and all our gold and all bits and bobs and melt them and let's make a golden calf and worship that because that's what took us out of Egypt which sounds a bit crazy because God's like roaring up on the mountain at that moment. They're probably thinking, 
Moses is dead. Let's, let's find something else to do, you know? And, and what this signified for me is how we can so easily forget the thing that God has done. We can so quickly forget kind of who God is. Because God does these miracles. God does these wonderful things. And maybe you see these. You, I find you, you can look at people who are around in the time of Jesus who have just seen like amazing miracles. And then a few chapters later, they're like, kill him, kill him. And you're like, what? We're like that ourselves. That I, I, I realise in my own mind that I forget sometimes the wonderful miracles. Like I'm talking about miracles, not just this, is, this was nice. I'm talking about miracles that God has done. And I forget that God did it. And, and then I, the next time it comes. So when we think about provision, you know, where God's provided again and again and again and again. And then the next time something comes up and like, oh, is God going to do it? And it's like, yes, I did it again and again and again. Do, do you not remember that bit? But we're just a bit, bit stupid, you know? We're a bit forgetful. And I was thinking about two ways that this can happen. And the, the first is gradual. Because, you know, we come and I, I trust that you are like, you love God. I trust that you love him and I trust that you want to follow him, you love him, you honour him. And so we're not thinking, you know what, my plan this week is to not trust God. My plan this week is to turn my back on him. My plan this week is to deny him and his power. We don't start off like that. But what we find is that gradually this can happen because what there is, it's almost like a gravity that if we don't resist it, it will bring us back to old ways. If we aren't moving forward, it's like a fish in a stream. Like sometimes you might see a fish that's trying to swim upstream, and it might even look like it's not moving anywhere, but the moment it stops, it's going to move backwards. And we have to realise that there's this gravity that will, if we are not conscious about it, will pull us back into old ways of thinking. And there are not, these are not ways that we intended, they're not ways that we want, but if we're not conscious about it, that's where we'll end up. We need to be consistently renewed by the word and the presence of God. And I loved it when Betty was praying earlier. You were saying about the word and the oil. And the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, there's times I can read the Bible and if it's not infused with the Holy Spirit, it's just read, I could be reading anything, you know. It's not going to make change. It's not going to change my heart. We need both the word of God and the presence of God to, to continually renew our minds. Because if we don't operate in that place, we're going to become drained. Because that's just life. You know, you come drained and it flows, you know. It reminded me of, I love it, that I actually put this word in when I was typing up, the word hangry, and, and it didn't underline it, so that means it's a real word now. Hangry, where you're angry because you're hungry. You know, that if you don't fill yourself up, you start behaving in a way that you never intended to behave. No one's like, I want to be angry. But actually, there are things that we need to do to prevent ourselves from getting to the place we don't want to be. Because ultimately, what you, what you fill yourself up on as well will influence how you are. 
And that, that's maybe a whole other sermon for another day, but it's, it's obvious, really, if you fill up on junk. Like, it's interesting. I've been, I, I feel like I'm getting healthy now, and I'm trying to be healthy. And, and, but I actually realise now that if I eat something that's obviously not healthy, like junk food, I actually feel a bit rough because, you know, it's not good for me. I still eat it, but, you know. <laughs> so we have to give ourselves... Because if you're just filling up on junk, the, the output's going to be junk. If the input's junk, the output's going to be junk. You need to be filling yourself with good stuff. And that's both the word and the presence of God. And so that, that, that counteracts the gradual. But there's also the quick. And I, I, I've got this question for you. What turns your head? There can be things that, you know, when you're walking along, you're like, whoa, what was that? Now, it might be that, depends on you, but there might be a car, you know, a really nice car, and you're like, whoa, look at that car. Or I, I drive, on my way to work, I drive past this street, and it's got absolutely ginormous houses. And I'm like, wow, look at that. <laughs> Maybe it's a good-looking man or a good-looking woman, and you're like, whoa, look at that. Maybe it's a sunset, you know, because your head get turned by a sunset. When you look at it and you gaze at it and you're like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Maybe it's a flower. Maybe it's your anxiety. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's your money. These things turn your head and fixate your gaze. What turns your head? What turns your head? Now, I'm not at the moment differentiated between what's good and bad. I'm going to do that in a minute. But it's important for you to realise what is turning your head. Because the reality is, if something turns your head and you don't see Jesus in it, then you need to turn your head back quickly. Because a sunset may turn your head and you can look at it and go, wow, man, God is good. I was, I was at trampoline last night with the youth. I wasn't trampolining, I was just sitting there doing nothing. I was um, looking after the water bottles. Very important job. So I was just scrolling through Facebook because there was nothing else to do. And, and there was one video. And it was about um, the universe. And, and it showed the smallest planet and how it got bigger and the suns. And then, and then it went into all the stars and the galaxies. And I was like, wow. But where does that lead you? Does it lead you to, wow, God is massive, like, it got to the point where it showed the Milky Way and then it showed all the other galaxies. And I'm like, whoa, that's just mind-blowing. But does it lead you to a place of glory to God? Or could it lead you somewhere else? Because unless it takes you to a place of glory to God, then, then put your eyes back on him. Yeah. You know, because there are things that will turn your eyes. You know, that's normal. That's okay. But unless that thing is... is infusing you with more of God. If you look at a person and they, they draw out the heart of God from you, then that's great. If you look at a person and it fills you with lust or it fills you with anger, then turn your eyes back to Jesus and ask for him to transform your way. Don't take your eyes off the one who saved you and start trusting in other things. Okay. We must break the chain. As I said at the beginning, 
Our, our ways of thinking are chains that can bring us into bondage, and we need to break the chain. And I just want to give you some last thoughts on how we do this. I want you to recognize whether there is a pattern of thinking that is holding you back. Now, for me, I don't know about you, for me it's quite easy. I can look at my life and I go, I know that's the area that, where things are not quite as they should be. I know that that's the area that I need God to come and do something. And the, the reality is, it's realizing that's because of a pattern of thinking. Because your behavior comes out of your thinking. You don't do something unless you believe it. That's the reality. And so if you're telling yourself, I believe this, but your actions, your actions betray you because, you know, they show something else. So look at your life and think, is there something I'm like, this is not where I want to be. This is not who I want to be. Realize that's where God wants to come and set you free. That's where God needs to come and break something so that that chain of thinking is broken in you. One of the key steps in this is choosing today to believe what God has said. Because sometimes we, can, we have a feeling about something, so we might look at someone and we're full of anger towards them. And so we have that feeling, that's the reality, but we know that's not what God wants me to do or feel towards that person. And so what we need to do is say, God, I realise today you have called me to love that person and I will choose today to love that person and notice I'm using the word choice I'm not using the word feel because if I told you to love feel love towards someone you just can't do it it's not humanly possible unless there's something really wonderful about them that you naturally would love anyway you choose to do this you choose to believe because, again, there's something in you that's saying, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. And you say, no, today I choose to believe it is true. And you don't stop there because that's probably often the problem. We hear these things and you might hear a great sermon or you read a great quote and you think, wow, that's brilliant. And then a week, a day or a minute later, you know, it makes no difference in your life because it didn't actually absorb into you. And that's where when you've identified these new things one is you've got to think what is this going to cause me to do differently in the moment of revelation what is this going to cause me to do differently tomorrow so you're already setting a path for yourself that is different so if it is again love that person what what how am i going to act differently towards that person what can i do okay i'm going to make them a cup of tea and not spit in it you know, what can I do that is different? Make a decision because then you're already setting a plan for yourself to do something different. And then the last thing then is to soak yourself in God, reminding yourself of the truth. Because again, if I have this revelation, I make a plan and then I don't soak myself in the love of God and the presence of God and the word of God, then I'm going to go to do that. I'm going to be like, oh, I don't think so. I'm not going to be able to do the thing that I need to do. Whereas when I'm being full, filled with God, it's going to empower me to do the thing that God is calling me to do. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy because, again, you're going against the grain. But what you're doing is you're creating a new grain. Just like a path. 
I don't know if you've ever been through a field and sometimes you can see a path that's been clearly walked on. It's not a real path, but just where everyone walks there. And if you were to set a new path, you'd walk through and you're walking through the brambles or the bushes or whatever it might be. And the first time you look back and there's no, there's no evidence probably that you actually walked it. Maybe the only evidence is scratches on your legs or your arms. But the more you do that, the more other, and lead others even to do it, the more it becomes a new established path. And that's what God is calling us to do, is to do that again and again, to renew our minds, soak ourselves in his truth, choose to believe, even when it feels ludicrous. Choose to believe and say, God, I will do this. And I will follow you. And then we get to the place, if we go right back to that beginning, where it says that you will be transformed because your mind is being renewed. And when your mind is renewed, you'll be able to present your body holy and acceptable to God as an act of worship that is glorifying to him. Amen.